People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorists Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorists Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Jodrant. Joining me today is Jacob Troba and Armaka Fai. And on today's episode, it is another interview special. We sit down with President and Chief Soccer Officer of the Rochester Rhinos, Pat Ercoli. Now, listeners, this is a two-part interview. In this part one, we discuss how Rochester almost became an MLS club and the ups and downs the club has had. Come back next week for part two, where we discuss how the club is moving forward. Lastly, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and follow us at UncSamSoccerPod. Now, let's get to it. Joining us now on the show is Pat Ercoli, President slash Chief Soccer Officer of the Rochester Rhinos. Or Curly actually played club football for the Rochester Lancers and the Jacksonville T-Men in the North American Soccer League. Also played for Cleveland Force of the Major Indoor Soccer League from 1985-1986. Or Curly also coached the Rochester Rhinos from 1996 to 2004. Pat, welcome to the show. How's it going today? Great, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Man, it's it's been a wild journey for the Rhinos. Obviously, Armand listed quite a bit of what you have done. You also have held the title of general manager, and now you're the president slash chief soccer officer. What has that journey been like for you? Like I said, I pretty much have worn every hat uh, in the business. I've been involved or competed against, or you know, we were talking about it the other the other night. I mean, uh, every coach out there, Bradley. You know, all, all the national team coaches, you know, I, I've looked back. We, we actually recently moved into a new house. So, you know, all my scrapbooks and stuff, my wife piled into a, a van and they're all in the basement. And as I was flipping through, I saw David Sarek and I played together in Buffalo. And so, so the, you know, a lot of the people that are something to do with soccer have, have had a great contribution in the sport. You know, I've had uh, some ties to in some some manner, so it's a good it's a good feeling. Pat, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. You are the manager 
manager of the Rhinos when they won the U.S. Open Cup back in 1999. Tell us what that was like. Well, you know, at the time, uh, you know, Rochester didn't have soccer for something like uh, almost 20, I would say 18 years. Uh, so we came back in 96, just on, on the um, wave of the new MLS that had just started, we came to life. Um, and I think our community kind of tied into it because we were a competitive team and there weren't many teams in the country at that time between our league and the MLS. You know, I want to say maybe 16 to 18 teams. But so we had a great support. Uh, and I remember that first year, I think we went two and eight at the start. So it was kind of disheartening to my wife and I because you know we had 15,000 people at the stadium and we weren't necessarily winning. <laughs> uh, but we turned it around that year and we went into two finals in, in 96. Uh, we, lost, we lost to Bruce Arena DC United and lost to Seattle in Seattle in, in our regular league season. And the next year, I think we lost in the playoffs. And then in 98, we took off. I mean, we brought in uh, a bunch of different players that had played with national teams that were at a high level. I wouldn't necessarily say we were at the MLS's level, but we certainly had a lot of competitive players that wanted to prove themselves. So in 98, we won the regular season championship. And we kept saying to ourselves, OK, what's the next thing we're going to do? And, and the U.S. Open Cup was a challenge for us. And would have been great to do the double that year, but I think we lost in Minnesota in the final of the regular season. But the Open Cup, just the people in, involved, Jason Kreiss, I guess, played with Dallas, and he came into Rochester. And well, we could have lost in the first first round to Brooklyn Italians, but, but we pulled it out in, in, in overtime. Then we played Dallas. Jason Kreiss basically made a comment that said, you know, when we play on the Rochester fields, the smaller field, wait until they get to a big field. Um, so that kind of motivated our guys and, uh, we went off again and I think we won another three games against MLS teams, actually, um, beat Colorado and Mooch, Mooch was a coach at that time. Um, and I, there were a host of players that have played either national team or are in the game now coaching. So that, that, that team that we were able to, to defeat, anyway, it, it was an interesting uh, uh, championship. Uh, we, we certainly enjoyed winning it, and it, it's a feather in our cap because it was a national title and it brought national attention to Rochester. You know, but through that journey, I mean, uh, luck plays a part in it. Uh, we were playing in Virginia Beach, and uh, there were about 45 mile an hour winds. And I recall we were playing uh, Columbus, and the final was going to be in Columbus had they won. Uh, they would have been in the final. And as it turns out, we won uh, basically, I would say, because we chose to go against the wind in the first half. <laughs> the second half, I think they outplayed us against the wind, but they died halfway through the second half. And we were able to score two goals on the last 10 minutes to go to the final. So there were a lot of moments throughout that whole championship that, that you know, made good memories. For our listeners out there, the Rhinos are the only team in the MLS era to be a non-MLS team to win the Open Cup. But Pat, I wanted to jump. Uh, we, I was at, we we're actually doing some research, and uh, we stumbled upon a report from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle uh, talking about how the Rhinos could potentially play in Major League Soccer in 2004. Now, obviously, you were around. Can you just talk about what were the conversations that were being held back then? 
Well, Lamar Lamar Hunt uh, owned three teams in the NFL. He was part of the NASL when I played, and he had some fond memories uh, in in the course of his involvement with the NASL. And part of those memories were Rochester. Rochester always played some kind of a pivotal role in in the growth of soccer in the United States. In that in that era of uh, I think it was 1989 or 1970. A decision had to be made whether the league moved forward or not, and they needed one additional team. And Rochester happened to be that team to come forth that that helped the league move forward. And Lamar was part of it, so he had some fond memories of people that were involved at the time. And he felt that uh, because of our success both on and off the field, that Rochester could be a market that could be like a Green Bay. So he wanted to bring Kansas City here at the time and I don't know what the reasons were but I know they they met with the owners here several different times I could only surmise that I think some of the ownership group on our end was concerned because MLS really wasn't doing as well as as it is today at the time uh and the risk involved for them uh was greater than what they wanted to uh put forth and and uh and obviously, they felt that if they built the stadium and played in the league that we were in, they'd continue to have the success that we had and didn't see the bigger picture, the bigger vision. You know, and especially because many of the teams that were in our league, like Portland, Seattle, Montreal, Vancouver, uh, they all saw the bigger picture. And, and of course, today they all have MLS franchises. I can't say that coming to Rochester would would that wave have continued? I mean, we can all guess at that. Um, but mm. I mean, having an interest in that, bringing the right players, and I I think we've shown even after our Rhinos' success off the field wasn't quite what it was as it was at the beginning. When the Flash came into town, which was the Western New York Flash, and I helped bring them in, and we had all the best players and and the national team players. We drew well. So there is still an interest out there in Rochester that I believe uh, would have success um, if if you have the right personnel in place, the right players here, and they're competitive, and, and they play at a high level, and they're recognizable. Now, Pat, let me ask you this, because you just mentioned it. At the time, in the early part of the decade, there was thought that Kansas City would relocate to Rochester and Rochester would be that MLS club? Yeah, I think Brian Bliss, who who happen, happens to be from Rochester, was the assistant coach. And they were the talk uh the talk was that they would come in. I think he was going to be the head coach and I would take on a an assistant coaching position. If it were offered to me, which I think it was going to be offered to me. And so I looked forward to it, but it never it never happened. Do you know how close the deal was to happening? Well, they came here and they drove around and looked at, at the facility that we currently have in Rochester. There were some questions asked about parking, from my understanding. Uh, our ownership groups actually, actually flew down to Dallas and met with them at uh, the, the, his headquarters uh, with his sons, I believe. Um, so, so it was pretty close. Uh, Dan Garber, I don't believe was 
um, on board with it. He he had a different vision, but I think that uh, Lamar Hunt owning three teams uh, pulled a little weight. <laughs> I mean, how how bummed was the club after not being able to make a move like this or to enter Major League Soccer? I mean, it must have been somewhat devastating for the community in hopes of, hey, Major League Soccer might have a club or we might have a Major League Soccer club here. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Um, uh, Sacramento, for instance, if you want to take a, a chapter out of our book, is very similar, right? I mean, they they had some great success at the beginning. They won a championship, um, and it looked like, uh, for all intents and purposes, they were going to be granted an MLS franchise. Um, you know, the community's on board because they're sitting there saying, okay, MLS is coming. We're going to support the team because we want the team to, to be involved in MLS. And then all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't happen right away. So it was the same thing here. I mean, we we always envisioned, like any player or any coach, to want to play at a, at a higher level. Community was envisioning that. And I think partly the state, because they gave us $25 million to build the stadium, you know, and we were the, the second one. I mean, Columbus was the first one, but that was pretty much funded by Lamar Hunt. This one was funded by New York State. So, you know, the city provided the property. And and so the understanding was that Lamar would bring the team in. The ownership group would retain uh, the stadium. Um, and if there were any cash calls, uh, Lamar would essentially pay for the cash calls, and um, then re- retain some percentage of the stadium, depending on that amount. At the time, there was always cash calls because, you know, the, the league was growing, and it was a single entity. So, you know, it wasn't unheard of probably to put in two or three million, four million a year, especially if you're only, you own three teams. You know, and at that time, I think, you know, there were several individuals that were billionaires that had three teams. So that was the the thing. I mean, the city, yes, I would say that the city, um, our fans certainly were disappointed uh, because that was what we spoon fed them for such a long time that, hey, you know, we're going to eventually go to MLS. And and as soon as the new stadium comes in, that's that's the direction. Well, then the stadium was built in 06 and uh, that didn't happen. And then MLS, you know, as you can tell, I mean, it to me, I, I view it as, uh, you know, billionaires and, and the millionaires that we had as owners sitting there and just trying trying to play against somebody that has more money. It just doesn't work. <laughs> so I, I, I think we came to a conclusion that, you know, the sales ship when uh, or the sale the ship sailed once uh, Lamar Hunt uh, decided and the league decided not to come the first time. Pat, let's fast forward here a little bit. After not making it to MLS, the Rhinos had a rocky time. The team was declared insolvent in 2008. However, in March of the same year, Rob Clark took over the club, assuring financial stability. After two seasons, the club joined the new NASL for the 2010 season, playing temporary in U.S. Soccer's Division II Professional League due to the Federation refusing the NASL's application for sanctioning. 
the Rhinos switched leagues again before the 2011 season to the third division, USL Pro League. In January 2013, the Rhinos became the official USL Pro affiliate of the New England Revolution. A few years later, on November 30th, 2017, the Rhinos announced they would go on a hiatus. And then a year later, the new third division league, USL League One, and returned to the field in 2020. How difficult were those years from 2008 until 2017? Well, I came back. So I left in uh, 04. Uh, Rob Clark took over the team in 08, and uh, he hired Darren Tilley, who happened to be one of my players, uh, when we won you know, the U.S. Open Cup and all the championships. Great guy, you know, very sarcastic Englishman. <laughs> and, but, you know, I, he was a determined, hardworking individual, and I got calls from Rob at the time and several individuals that wanted me to come back as, as coach. And I kept telling them, look at, you know, just give Darren time, time. He's, he's a great guy. He's a chapter out of my book. He'll, he'll be successful. And I, I just wasn't interested in coming back as a coach anymore. Um, so in, in 09, uh, I think they, he, he was here two years and then they released him. And I said to them, look at, you know, I, I have no no interest in coming back as a coach. And so they said, well, how about as a general manager? And I said, I, I will. But again, it, it'd have to be a long-term contract. And they weren't interested in doing that at the time. So I came back part-time and continued to work. And, uh, you know, I'd show up for uh, meetings with the coach. And I, and I, I prefaced it with, I'm only going to come back if I if I can put the right coach in place here. because." I know what it's going to take to win. And, um, you know, the budget wasn't quite as uh, healthy as it was when I was. Uh, so I knew the type of coach that we were going to need in order to win. And, and it was Bob Lilly. So I contacted Bob and we had several talks for weeks and weeks. He just he was in that same mold where he didn't want to come back and coach anymore. Uh, but I was able to convince him he he believed in me and uh, he knew that I was an honest individual and you know he'd had some situations with other clubs where you know he felt he was given a raw deal so I was able to convince him to come back because we would support him and he and he came back and uh, so that's how it all started again we then had like you said uh, the NASL situation I wasn't involved in that that in that initial stage where they decided to go to the NSL but when we did come in, Bob and I talked about it, and we felt there were pluses and minuses with it. Uh, the N the NASL, essentially to me, just having been, having been in the business for such a long time, I just felt that the direction they were taking it in was going to be very costly. You know, Bob Lunarducci from Vancouver was in it for one year, and then they were going to go to the MLS. Uh, Joey Saputo was in it for one year, and then they were going to the NA, NASL. Uh, or I'm sorry, the M, MISL. So both of them were, were going to be departing to the MLS. So I just said to our ownership, I said, look, at once these guys go, you know, there's you're talking about teams that just aren't going to survive. It's too costly. And so we, we went back to... Um, 
the USL at the time and uh, told them we wanted to. And it wasn't just us. It was Orlando City as well. Both of us went back and said, we want to be part of the USL again. Uh, so that's what, what transpired with that. How's it, how's it been over the last few years? I mean, you know, we, when I came back, the mission was how do, how do we survive in a 25 or in a 15,000 seat stadium, uh, one USL team, and you have to fill X amount of dates. You know, we had at most for soccer, you know, 20 dates. Uh, so my job became more than just being the general manager of the team. It became operations manager for the stadium. So we, we were able to make a deal with the Salins in Buffalo for naming rights. Uh, they, they brought in the, the New York Flash with probably the best team ever put together by them with Marta and Christy St. Clair and Morgan and all the best players in the world. Uh, and they played here in the stadium. So we had success, even though we weren't having it necessarily with the Rhinos, we were starting to have it with the women's game. And then we were able to bring in lacrosse. We brought in the Rattlers. So we had three tenants in the building. 2015, all of that unraveled. It looked like the Rhinos were dead in the water at that point. Uh, and then David and Wendy came in and as the White Knights, you know, the, the week before the city was going to make a deal with, with the New York Flash. So the Flash were going to be tenants of the, of the building. And they came in and they were able, with the USL, they were able to convince them that the direction that the USL was going in, um, in addition to providing the city with new AstroTurf for the stadium, um, they convinced everybody that uh, the Rhinos should continue to play in the building. Over the, la the last two years, uh, in, in 2016, 2017, you know, the success on the field was continued to be what it was always. I mean, we were always contenders. Uh, we had won the championship in 2015. Uh, so there was never really any issues in regards to the, that, that side of the equation. But the fact that we weren't drawing well was part of the reason that uh, our demise started to happen. The ownership group felt that the location of the stadium didn't necessarily benefit the team. And they felt that continuing to operate in that building wasn't doing us justice. Um, and that's why we went on a hiatus. Uh, at, at the time, it was only supposed to be for, I think, two years. So now I think we're pushing into 2021. They feel that uh, playing in the Champions League is probably not being, well, at least it wasn't being supported in the build, building we were in. Um, whether a new building uh, can support it, we won't know until we get our feet wet again. So the intention is to start off in Division One, and then if we have success in it, like we've we've had in the past, then um, certainly they'll they'll look at bouncing back into the Champions League. Listeners, if you have any comment or thoughts regarding the interview or overall with the Rochester Rhinos, send them in. Tweet at us. Email us at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod or Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Come back next week for part two and until next time.
here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants.